I'm Zach Carlson, and you are listening to the World Is Wrong podcast with Andras Jones and Brian Connolly, usually. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about a chronicle of corpses. <laughs> Welcome to The World Is Wrong. An extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Brian Connolly. And we are here to celebrate a film that you have chosen, Chronicle of, yeah. the Chronicle of Corpses. You want to say anything about this film before we play clips and start to discuss it? Uh, no, I think there's a lot to discuss because this is a movie that I think a lot of people have never seen, a lot of people have never heard of, and despite it having some early critical acclaim, has kind of been, in a sad way, lost, uh, in my opinion. Um, so, like, we're let's just start with a nice clip of some of this uh, stylish, uh, you know, almost stunted dialogue. Uh, the pacing of this stunted movie is odd. Stunted or stilted? Not stunt. What? Stilted. Stunted, Stilted, sorry. Stunted dialogue, dialogue sounds no. like they brought in. That's yeah. like a like Greystoke, right? Where that like Glenn yeah. Close was a stunt. Yeah. Did stunt dialogue sorry. for Andy Stilted. McDowell. Stilted dialogue. It's it's the tone is weird, and you I think you'll pick up on that just in the cadence of these people in this clip that you'll hear this dialogue in. Okay, just uh, just when do the zombies show up? <laughs> We will get into that too, so we can. Uh, but uh, here, here's a here's a clip. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's play. Great. It. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. It was weird. Like I was dreaming. I thought I was alone in the kitchen. But she was there, like a ghost, like something from the dead. I looked into her eyes, and I couldn't break my gaze. I felt us disappearing. Our bodies dissolving. The rooms we once inhabited fading to black. With our deaths, the world has changed. God will be lost to man forever. And what will our new history be but a chronicle of corpses? I pray for us. I've prayed. But we'll not all go to heaven. <clears throat> all right. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, this this movie. Um, so let's let's do what we always do. Let's start with a little bit of plot here. 
So th- th- this is a move. This is a slow film. This is an intentionally slow. This is definitely, in my opinion, one of the few examples of American slow cinema from the early 21st century. Uh, directed by Andrew Rapasky McElhenney, A Chronicle of Corpses takes you through kind of a, a few days in the life of the Elliot family as they are slowly, uh, dreadfully. <laughs> awaiting their demise one by one by a mysterious kind of ghoulish bald woman who's running around and stabbing them. They all live on an estate that takes place in kind of colonial uh, times, 19th century uh, plantation in America. And this is a period piece, and it is a lo- but it is a low-budget film version of a period piece. And yeah, we just get this kind of stylish art film, very meticulously paced, long, sweeping camera shots, kind of uh, creepy camera moving slowly across the woods or a graveyard. Uh, The plot on paper reads like a slasher film as one by one every character gets murdered by this mysterious figure in the woods. Um, Yeah, so that's the plot (laughs) of this movie. But I feel this movie is much more than plot. It's about mood. It's about character. uh, And just sort of this interesting uh, way to make a horror film that nobody else was really doing in the year 2000 when this film came out. And how is the world wrong about this film? Well, I mean, I kind of mentioned it earlier. Like, this movie came out in the year 2000. And it actually, like, despite it not getting a wide release, because, like, I don't know anyone who saw this movie. I never heard of this movie. Um, It was on the 10 best list for the New York Times In the Village Voice that year, which is a big deal. Like, those are respectable, you know, like, I'm never going to be on a 10 best (laughs) list for those people of anything I make. And so that's, like, a respectable list. And yet, even making those lists, it never got a wide release. It never really made a big splash in the art houses around America. And despite uh, the, the, yeah, the critical acclaim and it being kind of, in my opinion, a hell of a, a movie, uh, no one knows about it. I don't know anyone who's ever seen this movie. I don't know anyone who's talked about this movie. This movie got a 4K restoration and was re-released uh, and had a big showing in New York. And sadly, that was in March of 2020. Did anyone show up? I don't know. Because that, of course, we all know is when the world kind of shut down. And I think that could have been a chance for the movie to get a new audience and kind of get on people's radar again. And then it sadly didn't because there were other things in the news uh, at the time. And so I feel like this is still the movie that I'm kind of like always carrying on my back. I'm always like kind of having it like on the side so I can throw it out in front of people who are looking for something they've never seen before. And especially horror people, horror fans tend to always say, at least at the video store when I work there, I've seen everything. I've seen it all. And then I'll be like, well, have you seen a Chronicle of Corpses? And then I get the same thing from art house fans being like, oh, I've seen every, uh, there's not a lot of American art, slow cinema stuff. I've seen the few there is. And, uh, and I'm like, have you seen the Chronicle of Corpses? They have not. And But it's also not an easy movie to find unless you buy a copy, and that's sadly the case of all the films of Andrew Rapasky, McElhenney, that none of them are really easy to find. I've been very lucky to find two of them, uh, but they, it is a chore, despite I feel he is one of the best American filmmakers of the 21st century, 
thus far. So that's how I think the world is wrong. <laughs> and then I think you are wrong because you thought this was a zombie movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah. I, uh, it, <laughs> was it because the word corpse is in the title? <laughs> I, I, you know, a chronicle. It's. I guess for some reason I wasn't thinking of a. I was sort of thinking of a cavalcade of corpses. I don't know. Yes. Uh, so cards on the table. Uh, I'm wrong. <laughs> In this conversation, I'm so like my wrongness butted me in the head on both watchings of this film. Uh, first of all, yes, I the first want the first viewing. Actually, let's back up for a second. Let me say that. Um, <laughs> so on the first viewing, uh, yes, I had for some reason got it in my head that this was a zombie movie and I don't like zombie movies. So I was very, very like I, all the and I want to say I only say I don't like zombie movies because I watched like the first half hour of uh, Night of the Living Dead and was like, nope, not for <laughs> me. And I've never gone back. So I'm an ignorant. I'm a. a an anti-zombist. Uh, so, <laughs> so, and so, but, you know, I, I'm supportive of you and you gave me this film to watch and so I was going to watch it and I was all, I was prepared to sit, to like make myself watch this zombie movie. And again, as someone who doesn't really know zombie movies that well, I, you know, I, I'm just sort of like watching it and thinking... <laughs> Well, when is that person a zombie? Is this how they become a zombie? <laughs> when are the zombies going to show up? This, I guess, this is a really weird zombie movie. It's like the Nosferatu of zombie movies. Like you go to see Nosferatu expecting Dracula, and you're like, "Whoa, that's a crazy kind of Dracula." And this is like a crazy kind. Are the zombies ever going to show up? Is that the idea that we're so that we're supposed to be? Like it's just like it, they never come. It's like the waiting for Godot of zombie movies. And then I told you this afterwards and you were like, uh, it's not a zombie movie. I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be able to maybe that will make my viewing experience better uh, if I if I'm, I'm not waiting for the zombies that never arrive. And so I watched it again. And sadly, <laughs> didn't help. Uh, first of all, I got I, I got to say the 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 copy that I'm watching is incredibly grainy, and there's a lot of dark shots. So mm -hmm. I just found myself kind of lost for big sections mm -hmm. of the film. Yeah, yeah. And I I think I was just tired. I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Not the best way to watch a slow movie. You're supposed to watch those in the middle of the day. Well, I'm try uh, I was well, cramming for the second well, viewing to try and get it in. Well, for I this. knew I knew that this would be kind of a hard sell in general because you don't like horror, and this definitely kind of I feel fits into that after last season sort of movie from another planet sort of <laughs> requires the utmost patience sort of movie in a, in a way like you can't casually watch this film yeah nor can nor can <laughs> like you have to really be, you have to really be in the right mood and right frame of mind and maybe that's why this movie hasn't had kind of legs in popular culture because it's not like other slow american movies like say Brown Bunny, which we love and we celebrated. Like that's definitely a slow movie, but it's, you know, it's got 
the soundtrack to keep you go along. It's got these, uh, it's clearly like incredibly professionally made. It's just looks so good. Uh, you know, there's going to be some sex at the end of it. So you're, you're, you're sitting through it. Oh, very awake. Uh, whereas this one, yeah, it's, it's, a, this is a weird movie. And let me, I just want to tell you about my kind of introduction to how I found this movie. If, if you'll allow me oh, and kind please. of, the, and, 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 and the work of, of the director. Yes. And um, so anything you have to say in this episode <laughs> is more, valid than anything I have to say about this movie. So please help us. Help me. Help people like me who, who want to find a doorway into this film. Uh, so I so this was sort of toward, towards the end of me working at Vulcan. And every uh, every October... Because Vulcan wife, ended, not because they fired you. No, yeah, because Vulcan ended, sadly. Sorry. COVID yeah. ended Vulcan and just the modern Sorry, world. Sorry, I didn't bring cheap. up something sad, but, but I didn't want people to think that <laughs> yeah. you no, quit I was, or got No, I was fired. there till the last day. So. You went down but, with the uh, ship. I, I did. I left for a bit, then came back, and then went down with the ship. Uh, but so every Shocktober is what my wife and all Vulcans called it. We had a strict rule in the store and in life that for that entire month of October or Shocktober, we only watch horror. That's it. That's all you're allowed oh, to watch. TV, God. movie. There's no nothing else is allowed. Period. No, unless it's like work related, because I'll work on a book or something. I'll sneak in a few things during the day. But like for primetime viewing, that is all that is allowed. And <clears throat> so I would go through the horror section and just look through spines and be like what's this what's that because like i'm one of those people that i've seen a lot of movies in my life and i've seen a lot of horror movies in my life because i feel that was one of the first sections i really kind of ate up when i was allowed to go to my first video stores as a kid and as a teenager and so i'm always looking for horror movies that i've just never heard of or that could be good or maybe it looks bad but maybe there's something good about it and so this was definitely one where i pulled the spine out and I was like, I don't know what this is. And the DVD didn't even really give you, because it's clearly a cheap DVD made by one of those companies that it looks like one of those companies that normally just put out like public domain, you know, like old Westerns or something weird. Or like they would maybe put out like Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla or so, like one of those kind yeah. of movies. And you couldn't tell on the box of a Chronicle Corpses when it was made. So you're looking at being like, this looks like, like the pictures are grainy, uh, even on the, on the, uh, dvd so you're like is this an old movie is this a newer movie like what is this i've never heard of this and so i just took it home <clears throat> and i watched it by myself very late at night and i from the first five ten minutes i was just like so zoned in on this movie like this i was in the right mood the right place to be like i had no idea that this was what this movie is like this strange homemade no budget period piece uh clearly starring like you know like kind of local theater actors or something like these aren't necessarily professional movie actors and yet the camera work i found to even though it was on a low quality dvd i just loved these long these long slow takes these like tableaus of these like you know the way the people were arranged in the scene like the like the way there's this the movie kind of starts with this really long scene of literally every character in the movie getting communion in one take, no cuts, <laughs> to like this bell tolling, like this church bell tolling. And so you're already in this weird mood of just sort of like this this just sort of like sense of dread. And then like these are these amazing shots through the woods where the camera is just kind of slowly moving. And then 
they're, the soundtrack is classical music and it's hitting all these like Kubrick things in my brain. Be like, oh, this is kind of reminding me a little bit of this slow beautifulness of Barry Lyndon. And this is reminding me a lot of like some really good Bergman. And ultimately that what I, what I really was tapping into while watching this was like, this really reminds me a lot of the films of Andy Milligan. Are you familiar with Andy Milligan? No. So he's another, he's a director that is considered one of the worst filmmakers ever and has been for decades by so many people. I think it was Stephen King once wrote like in one of his books or some piece about horror he was just like this is the worst shit i've ever seen is made by this guy i'm a huge fan of course <laughs> i disagree i think he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time and andy milligan a queer filmmaker from the 60s like started in kind of the new york underground or kind of the outskirts of new york underground and then he made these no budget like i'm not even gonna say low budget like this is no budget period films he decided to take what little money had on Long Island and make these movies that take place in like the 19th century <laughs> and make these costume drama horror films for like 10 bucks. And like, you can literally see like in the background, like modern day, <laughs> you know? like he's not the best at hiding it all the time. And the people have like New York accents and they don't really sell like, and because he has a lot of ones that take place in England. And I really kind of felt like his spirit in the film, A Chronicle of Corpses, like this idea of, I don't have a lot of money. I live in America and I, but I want to, I want to make an indie film, but I want to make a period piece. I want to make a movie that doesn't take place now, but takes place a long time ago, a movie that normally would cost, like it would be like a Ridley Scott movie that would cost millions of dollars, but for 20 grand, you're instead making your version of a period piece. And so I was just so excited about this. And so I ran. So once I was done watching it, I was like, I need to ingest everything about this movie. And who made this movie? Like, who is this? Who made them? Did they make anything else? And to my surprise, he made a lot of everything else. And his story is really interesting. So there's not a lot written about uh, Andrew Rapaski McElhenney. But what little I could find was he was sort of this wonderkind. I believe this is in like Philadelphia. And he was making short films and getting kind of little like local news things written about like, there's this kid. He's just like, he's like 14, 15. He's making these interesting, weird little short films. And then he made his first feature in 1998 when he was like 19. And it's called Magdalene and it's totally great. And that one's actually surprisingly very easy to find. Like that was put on a cheap DVD. And it's like, it's kind of the classic 90s indie you know, movie. It's like definitely a very much a first movie where it's like a bar or a coffee shop. It's black and white. It's just a lot of people talking. It's got that kind of Kevin Smith, Tarantino sort of like, we're just going to have people talk a bunch about the tell stories. And like, that's the best way. A little bit of Don's Plum in there, if it will. Like this is that kind of indie movie, which makes sense. But then his second movie was A Chronicle of Corpses. This, this is a movie directed by a 22 year old, a 22 year old kid made a chronicle of corpses and then that made me even more excited being like what was i doing when i was 22 i was making movies too but nothing like this like and i don't even i can't even find or understand how he was able to pull this movie together i know that the actors are all uh kind of philly philly philadelphia theater people off 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 broadway actors um and then he kept going making stuff. He made a movie called Story of the Eye three years later. That's an adult film. It's an X-rated porn movie based on Which the. I'm going to say that not <laughs> on his uh, not on his IMDb filmography. 
It is. It's on there. Story of the Eyes? Yeah. Oh, it's, okay. Uh, yeah, Inside it's, Arm, it's, UVI number one, George Bataille's Story of the Eye documentary yeah. short. But then, but then there's, after oh, that, there's the actual movie. George, that, George Bataille's Story of the Eye. It's not Story and, of the Eye. It's George Bataille's Story I, of okay. the Eye. You're right. It's 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 Andrew Rapasky McElhenney's George Bataille story of the eye, uh, and that movie's incredible too. And I was luckily luckily enough, uh, Vulcan had a copy of that, and that is very much doing kind of the brown bunny thing, or what you know, like Catherine Briot was up to, or like these people that were they were making high art but putting hardcore porn in the movie and so it's it's and it's like it that movie's incredible too and that's also just slow and amazing and beautiful not easy to find can i read the description and, and yeah. you tell me if this uh, what this <laughs> you interpret it for us okay okay wait there's a plane going over let me just or a helicopter buzzing my place <clears throat> looking for clint eastwood in the gauntlet okay, uh here we go uh, in a seemingly abandoned house, a group of people engage in wordless acts of passion. From evening to morning, the sexual couplings among the members of the house become increasingly harrowing as daylight arrives. Is that an apt <laughs> description of this film? Uh, sure, I think that's a description of that film. That's what would you add if you were to try and explain uh, it to someone it's who just, wanted to watch it's this? Just, it's highly conceptual. And it's just sort of very haunting and it all takes place in this building. And it's a lot of like these women walking up the stairs and then there'll be like some strange sex scene in a strange room. And it's like, it's like to me, that movie is kind of indescribable. <laughs> it's an experience. It'd be like trying to describe an art piece in a museum. It's just like, it's so abstract to me. And I've never read the source book. I've never read story of the eye, which is a classic, you know, book from, I think the thirties or something. Um, but it's just strange. It's odd. It's, there's not really any story. It's just about mood and kind of uses of space and just, yeah, it's just a wild, wild movie. So then I got extra excited after watching that and then I can't find his other stuff. He made a movie called Animal Husbandry, which looks great. Never been released on home video. I have no idea how to watch it. He's made a bunch of like Edgar Allan Poe short films. Though the real strange one in 2015, he made a movie called Christmas Dreams, which is like a G-rated musical giant production. Like it looks real fancy. That looks like it's a kid's movie, almost like a Nutcracker sort of thing. That I believe you can find a DVD of, but I believe it's expensive and I should just buy it and just buy it. And then he's been working on his, the thing he's been working on for years is called Casual Encounters, Philadelphia True Crime Confessions, soon to be released next year, which is going to be a five-part movie, I guess, about actual crimes in Philadelphia, which I'm sure there are many. <laughs> and so... This guy keeps making stuff, and he is an interesting human being, too. Like, all the pictures, not a lot of interviews with him. The pictures of him kind of feel very Bogdanovich-like. He wears, like, an ascot sometimes, or is definitely has, like, an Orson Welles thing going on, where he kind of dresses up he like... He looks a little bit like Bruce McCullough. I can see that. And he just dresses kind of like an old-timey director, like how a director would dress, like, pre-New Hollywood, which I also find very fascinating and exciting. And, uh... And then, so so I was just into this and trying to share with people and nobody was listening to me. And this was going on for like a good few years. And then 
I I would knew I was on the right thing in my mind when a DVD came out of the later films of Andy Milligan and Alone Behold on there was a commentary track by Andrew Rapesky McElhenney. <laughs> so I was like, I knew it. I knew that it all came fully formed in my mind of like, he is definitely into the same stuff that I am. Like the idea of making an Andy Milligan type movie, but with this Barry Lyndon, Dreyer, Bergman sensibility. It was just so exciting to me. Um, so why is this kind of movie exciting? I feel like I don't, I don't really know, but I just, I like things that are slow. I like things that are odd and weird and different. And I think that's, yeah, that's what I get out of, out of this film and out of his work. Have you ever reached out to him? No, I'm kind of afraid to, because he seems like he's really smart and (laughs) and I'm just going to come up with some dope. But, you know, I think after this episode comes out, I think I will at least be like, hey, we talked about your movie. Like, (laughs) you're an interesting, you seem like a cool guy. Your movies are good. I I definitely would like to ask how I can get some of his movies that I can't find. Yeah. You know, I want a section for him in my in my room. And I think I'm just really excited about directors that have a pretty good body work and nobody knows who they are. And I feel like I must fight for those people. And I think we do, I think we do that often on the show. Yeah, like we yeah. did, you know, like we did with um, the other Paul Williams, another director I feel that nobody knows about that has worked for years making high quality things that people should know about. Yeah. I don't need to know about, I, I, and, I, and I, I'm part of the problem, like the directors wall, other podcasts I do, I'm not covering anybody like this just because I know no one's going to tune in. So we got to cover the people that people already know. But, you know, I'm glad that we have this show to kind of dig our heels into these other other folks. Uh, for these other folks. We don't want to dig <laughs> heels into them. <laughs> for, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's my glowing love for this movie i would love to hear your your take on it other than it was just you just yeah were confused I, I, I mean, by it and fell asleep it's <laughs> so my my two least favorite criticisms there are two criticisms what that when i hear them i sort of immediately deprioritize the person giving that opinion just okay. about that thing one is it's not funny the other is it's boring. Like both of them are a you problem. The person who is saying that, like if you are bored, then you obviously weren't paying the right kind of attention to this or you're just not into it. You know, it's sort of like someone could go see the most amazing ballet, me, for example, and find it incredibly boring. That does not, it's no comment on the ballet it's a comment on the person in the seat who should, has no business being there. And if they should, they they should be a little bit more humble. And like, I don't have the language to to interpret what's amazing that's happening in front of me. And it makes me sad. And I've I've had this happen. Like, I'm a musician. I've seen artists. I this, One of the great sadnesses of my life is that I had the good fortune to see Elliot Smith open for Mary Lou Lord in like 1994 at the Midnight Sun in Olympia, tiny little thing. And all I was thinking was, get this guy off the stage. I want to see Mary Lou Lord. <laughs> he became one of my favorite artists later. And that, and 
that's because I later developed the like an understanding of where he was coming from and I was able to get it through his recorded music. If I had had that recorded music in my head when I was watching him perform solo, just sort of very quietly, you know, whimpering these songs into the mic, uh, I would have I would have been able to get it. So my point is that like for me, I think the thing that I can bring to this episode is what I wish that people who had the handicaps around the films that I love uh, would do, which is just a, a just complete surrender. And like, <laughs> I am like, I'm not fit to comment on this <laughs> film because on two attempts, I was unable to scale it. You know, it's like, it's a mountain that was, that bested me. And so, so I want, I, what I want to keep digging into, I want you what uh, sort of, I want Again, from that place of humility, I would like to ask you to help me to find my... You've already helped me, because <laughs> knowing that this director... Like, I'm now more interested in this director. I want to check out his other stuff. And I had none of the... I, had, I don't have any of the context of Andy Milligan there to, like, to get me there. And especially, you know, especially now that I know there's no zombies in it, that also helps. <laughs> <laughs> but... But... <laughs> What I'd like for you to do is help me help me find the doorway into this film more. So let's let's start with um, just okay. This this we've got the story, but talk like were there any performances? Like what were the standout performances for you? I I think everyone in this movie is great. Like so so the kind of the the matriarch of this family in this movie is is, is played by Marge Doucet playing the character of grandmother Elliot. She, you may recognize, not you personally, but other people may, she is like a soap opera lady. Like she's just done a lot of stuff, like all my children. She was just, she's been an actress for a long time. And uh, just mostly TV, just a lot of TV. Like tons well, why do you think that I don't TV. watch soap operas? I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a thing you have the time for, because you're a creative person and I don't have time to watch a soap opera. That's a lot to invest in. Well, I mean, you're right, but I just wanted to know why that was an assumption. Like, one of the few movies she's in is Breezy, the Clint Eastwood movie. Oh, really? Have you ever seen that? Oh, I've yeah. I've never seen that. So I can't speak to who she is in that. She plays a character named Betty. Um, oh, I wonder, and, I wonder and, if she plays the and, wife. I wonder. I'm and, a... uh, and like, she's, you know, top billing. Like, she's not Kay Lenz. She's not Breezy. But she's, you know, fourth down. And so that's... A legit real movie oh, that you know she's what? in. I got a, there's a funny little story. So, uh, if she is playing the part that I think she's playing, which is William Holden's ex-wife, who or the wife who he's leaving to hang around with uh, Kay Lenz, they have a dinner at they have dinner at uh, Yamashiro, which is a Japanese restaurant up in, on the top of the Hollywood Hills. That is like just a block and a half from where I live and where I I, I eat there a lot and uh, and so you know anyway old, I I love there's nothing Hollywood has no respect for its history so when anything lasts more than thirty or forty years and you can see it in old movies it's kind of <laughs> exciting anyway yes uh, cool breezy a a weird uh, a movie that really hasn't aged well but if you can deal with that because it's basically about a William Holden an older guy beginning a relationship with this young hippie girl who bring, you know, who sort of uh, 
Manic Pixie Dream Girls, his life back in order. Uh, so uh, early Clint Eastwood film. So yes, go on. Um, and I think like, I, I don't even know if I would zero in on any of the performances in this because the performances in this, I feel are all kind of on an even playing field in a weird way because nobody other than Marge Doucet is, th- is that professional, that known. Like some of the other people, you know, have pictures at IMDb. They've been in other things like Margot White who plays uh, Brigitte. She's in Blue Bloods and things like that. And like Oliver Wyman, who plays Thomas Elliott. He's in like, he's, you know, got a picture up on IMDb, but you don't know these names. And when you watch the movie, I feel like they all, it kind of reminds me of um, the way people act in like Hell Hartley movies or the way people act in like, uh, like the Fassbender film Kotzelmacher or the way that people act, the hypnotized people act in the Herzog film Heart of Glass. Like it has this sort of day like you're kind of it's like dreamy and everyone's kind of like it's not acting like it's real this is not how people act in real life and everyone's talking in this very specific cadence that just adds to just sort of this cryptic uh, tone that this movie has (laughs) which is i think another drawing point for me i just really love but you know i'm talking about it like in hell hartley movies where people have a very like everyone talks a certain way in these in his movies or like you've seen movie where it's like very much it's the author's voice coming through all the actors and they have like this weird, odd way of speaking that is only in a movie or in a play or whatever. Like it's just it's very specific. Like in a way, kind of like David Mamet, like when we're talking about Spartan or Red Bell, like everyone's talking in a certain way, like all the characters are. And it's just sort of this strong sense of authorship, I guess, from the writer then that you don't. You're not worried about everybody playing all these different characters. You're kind of having everybody work for this one theme together to make this kind of odd, you know, piece of art, you know. Um, and, and I think that's another thing that throws people when they watch the movie. It's like, why is this how people are talking? Like, it's like the early clip that we played is like these two guys like standing by the window. And he's this this way he's describing hunting and killing this animal is not a way that any normal person would actually describe hunting and killing an animal. This is like theater. This is like theater uh, writing. Um, but I love it because what horror movie in the year 2000 is written or acted this way? I can't think of any. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and... As and like and you, you've already talked about cinematic touchstones, but are there any particular scenes or like that you you draw someone's attention to? Like, oh, the way this was staged, or the like. I, yeah. Like all the stuff in the church is really weird and very unique, and like the way that he has the people kind of spread out in the church, like because the movie begins with this very large kind of animalistic looking man shirtless like coming in carrying this dead body you know just like, like panicking weeping and just the way that even like the spacing is it just a lot of these shots that this i think that's what kind of remind me a lot of barry linden is a lot of the shots especially the ones where the camera isn't moving whether there's people like in the house or whatever feel like old paintings to me and i know that was definitely the goal in barry linden of kubrick's was to have a lot every scene kind of feel like you're looking at a painting you know, from the, from the 19th, 18th century, you know? So like you're, I like that, that to, for a 22 year old to think, to frame things that way in a no budget movie to me is very unique, especially in America. And I think that's, I think a lot of 
why I find this movie so special is this is an American made movie by a kid, basically. And, you know, in in the year 2000, I think young people making movies were still trying to make either that like like his first movie was where it's like that kind of extension of Tarantino where it's like you don't have enough money, but your friends are funny. So you're going to have them talk about pop culture or some bullshit or maybe you can afford a gun and you'll have like some that kind of indie movie, you know, like it. But the idea of making a movie much like the lower budget movies you see from other countries here I think it's really special and like, and it's really brave. And like, I know that it was really hard for the movie I made, uh, make popular movies like to kind of, to have the goal be to make all your scenes in one take when one long shot, that's really hard. Like, that is not easy. Some people, uh, stupidly think it is who are like, well, it's easy. Cause he just, the actors just, it's like, they just, you just run the camera and you just do it. And then it's easy to edit. Cause you only have 20 scenes to edit as opposed to, you know, 60. And it's so simple, but it's like, if you fuck up a long take, you got to start all the way back at the beginning. <laughs> and so these shots in this movie where the camera's slowly hitting all these, you know, points and it has to get here, or you have all the action take place in a thing. Uh, is hard and it's also hard to make that interesting i think unless you're talented maybe in your opinion he didn't in my opinion not my opinion did. nope not my opinion <laughs> but, but but like if you like it, that could come off as really boring if you just have these if if the camera is not cutting to kind of give you a feeling of something happening like they do in action movies and you're just having to sit in these moments i think for this movie it really helped give that feeling of like doom and gloom that this family is experiencing as they're slowly all getting murdered because the plot is basically like, uh, what is that story? Is it the cat and the canary or whatever it's called? The one, the old dark house. Like it's just sort of that kind of almost Agatha Christie thing of you have a bunch of people living together in this big estate house and slowly they're all getting murdered and they're all wondering who's doing it or they're all waiting to die. (laughs) And that could come off as real schlocky, but I think instead he takes this idea, which I think is really interesting and makes like a horror movie kind of trope plot, but makes <clears throat> this really odd version of an art house film like with that plot. And I think like the camera work really like adds to that, like just giving it this strange, you know, you, he could have made a more straightforward thing, you know, with the same plot. But the fact that it is so oddly paced and so specific looking. I don't know. That's to me a sign of an actual talent as opposed to someone who just wanted to make a fun horror movie right. or whatever. And another question, just sort of, uh, so while the, these murders are happening, all th- these people in the, in the story are all having their own dramas, sort of their own <laughs> soap opera dramas being played out. Uh, <laughs> Did you feel like there was anything like thematic about the that or cohesive about those storylines? Did you feel like there was some uh, larger statement that he was making or trying to? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still to? I'm still trying to figure that out. I find this movie to be such an enigma, which I think is also why I'm just endlessly fascinated by it because I don't quite get exactly what it is trying to say, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that means I can keep trying to decode it. Every time I watch it, because you have, because you have this whole thing with like the 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 people who are like the Elliot family who are living in this house, and then you have the thing with the help with what who they refer to as slaves. Though in this movie they're all white, which is very odd and definitely I feel a deliberate choice. 
And there's this part where one of the characters has this long speech of he sees the future and he has, has, has the world will be this weird state of equality in the future. And uh, slaves will have, you know, white slaves. He talks about that. But then all the slaves in this movie are white, which we know wasn't the case really <laughs> and anywhere in America that I could think of. It wasn't like anyone had like Irish people as slaves or whatever. It was all you know, African-American or maybe some Asian people in certain parts, like as either slaves or the paid help or their servants or whatever. Uh, so that's weird and interesting. I don't really understand what that means. And it definitely feels like, I mean, maybe it's making a comment on here's these people kind of in their old ways living on what is a plant, more or less a plantation out in the middle of nowhere. And there is references to Roanoke in the movie, which of course was a, a white settlement that van basically vanished and no one knows whether it was the native Americans that did it or what. Um, uh, a lot of people speculate it's a supernatural reason that they disappeared or whatever you read, a, look it up, but, uh, and but I just want to, can I throw out something here <laughs> sure. just on the off chance that someone is listening to this and thinking as my ugly mind did, well, maybe he did that just because he doesn't want to work with black people. Like, I'm going to have slaves, but I don't want to have black people in my movie. I but I just checked out the cast for Casual Encounters, Philadelphia yeah, True no, Confessions. Yeah. There is no. a, it is a very, uh, no. it is a diverse cast. So oh, I, I all, wanted to head those... that one off the, the, the past, people. If you're just thinking God. he's some weirdo, <laughs> well, incel, white supremacist. No, and, it's not no, the no, case. No, not at all. Not and the there... case. Not okay. at all. No. And because like in story of the eye, there's a person of color and Magdalene, there is like all those movies there yeah. are. So it's definitely a deliberate choice to make your slaves white people or make all the servants white. Right. Like, I feel that is, that means something. What exactly does that mean? I don't quite know. Like, cause I, I'm trying to still decipher this and I feel like I, maybe we'll get close next time. I, I really don't understand, but I, this, this idea of sort of these rich people, kind of living this life and then it's sort of like they're they're basically their reign is ending as more or less as this movie is is killing them all they're all dying and there's no like town it just feels like it's just this house this plantation and then the church and then that's kind of it and so everybody's dying and so this 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 town this civilization is going to just vanish and unless you knew what was going on you eventually will stumble upon walking through the woods this little town full of just dead people <laughs> everybody will be dead even the new generation there's the i don't know if you got to it or maybe you weren't paying attention but there's that great scene where baby elliot gets murdered oh yeah uh, that's <laughs> that one did stick so, out. that scene is that, so dark that wakes you up it wakes you up the baby's crying and then up. it just stops crying then it's know. not crying and so like this is definitely about like the obliteration of an entire family uh, and you find out it's, you know, spoiler alert, there is a kind of a dark family secret. There's a, like the reason there's a there's a there is a reason why this person in the woods is killing all of them. Um, and so, yeah, thematically, I'm still quite kind of and I and like I said, there's not a lot written about this. So it's like I don't really have other people's opinions to bounce off of. So that's why I hope more people watch this, because I would love to kind of dig in and kind of figure out. What is what? Because clearly this means something. It's not because it's a horror film that's not really done for scares. Like there's parts that are like jarring and upsetting, uh, violence-wise, but it's not like ooh, this is spooky. Oh, I'm scared. And so clearly it's trying to say something. 
but I don't really understand exactly what it is yet. You know, I feel like I'm still just like, I've only seen this movie three times now. And every time I feel I pick up on something different. Um, there's definitely something kind of going on. And I feel like maybe I'm just not smart enough to get it right away. But there's definitely, I feel there's something there that's like, there's a lot going on uh, in this movie more than I think what, it you think it is on first watch even so yeah i yeah <clears throat> okay poor poor little baby elliot uh let's talk about the giant <laughs> now that's an interesting looking man <laughs> tell what's what's the role of the giant in this film assume, so he this is, is sort a hard of... film to find so you you're going to have to fill in the blanks for like draw, draw some pictures for people so he uh... He's the first person to kind of let everyone know that every, that someone got murdered, and he is a mute, I think, or he like he's like there's something because he looks like a caveman, and it's I believe he works for this family, uh, and it's just it's an odd because everyone else in this movie is kind of dressed up in fancy 19th century clothes, but this guy is wearing like tattered. Like he just he kind of has a Tor Johnson sort of thing going on, you know, in this movie. Uh, you pick up on that? Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a wrestler, and he's just this emotional sort of almost like a big baby, just like a very, just a, an odd an odd character. Like all the characters in this movie are, they're all very odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I was thinking more Andre the Giant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely get a little bit of Andre the Giant and like the Princess Bride or something. Like he's this emotional person. I think is he part of like just the pre person who works on the on the farm or something? Like I don't quite understand what his role is uh, uh, in the movie, but he's I a big guy. I think if you're a 22-year-old kid <laughs> and you see you have that person in your life in any way, you've got to get him, put him in, in a movie. movie. Yeah. <laughs> you got to put him in a movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I just want to throw it like, as you're talking, there's a part of me that's like, I think it would be amazing if someone did like a $20 million movie about the making of a Chronicle of Corpses. It's a story. <laughs> it's basically like almost famous for filmmakers, like this kid and he saw, and he's just putting like, he's like, uh, you know. A little. What's the What's Max's last name from uh, Rushmore? Oh, uh, Max. Uh, I don't remember. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, like sort of like he's a, that kind of a character. Definitely. Sort of like you were when you were a teenager. Just like this kid who's like got big dreams and he's getting all of his weird friends to do this thing and he's got a total vision for it. And what would be great is that then like a lot of like you could do recreations of these scenes. But they would be done like the Ridley Scott film that they were. <laughs> and I just feel like the story, uh, like they did, like you do have me kind of uh, like now very interested in this director and the idea of making a movie about this kid who makes this movie. I don't know. I yeah. love that. I, I, yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel think like that would work. I think we should do that. Uh, we should make that movie. We should do that. Will Netflix play, pay for that? Um, but I, I did, there's something about, I think that's what makes this movie so good to me. Like, I think if I looked it up and it was made by some 45-year-old guy 
I would still like the movie because the movie on its own really, it, to me, is very good. But that to me, if it's someone who's like 45, you're like, oh, this is someone who's had years of studying cinema and has really, you can see his filmography and he's made, you know, 20 things and then finally made this movie. But the fact that this is this guy's second movie, he's 22. Like, I know it's not at all the same movie and he's not at all the same filmmaker, but I got the same feeling I got when I first saw Boogie Nights. Where I was like, wait, this guy's 25? Wait, he's like, the camera's doing this? Like, this is like where, what took Scorsese 25 years to get to. And this guy does it on his second movie? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and like, I just kind of like got that feeling when when watching this and realizing that this guy was so young at the time. That, that the ambition to just be like, I'm going to go out and make a period piece and just I'm going to shoot on 35 millimeter and we're going to have these long, crazy takes and you're just aiming so high and you could fall so hard from that. You know, like this could have very well been a movie that was never finished, you know, because like just the boldness of attempting to do that <laughs> at age 22 <laughs> is insane to me. And you're making this strange obtuse film that's not even one that I think you would think would connect with most people you know it's not like you're making a movie where you're hoping that this will be your calling card to be invited to make a movie in hollywood like no one in hollywood wants a movie like a chronicle of corpses like it's just such an odd strange thing to to accomplish and i think that's why like when we did la after last season we talked about like the reason why that movie's strange is like there's a lot of just mystery over the intention of that movie, why it was, maybe it's a money laundering thing. The director was a person where English was maybe a second language. And that would explain sort of the oddness of that film. Uh, but this is a movie by a kid who just wanted to make some big, crazy thing. And when you read about him, like what little is about him, like there was some comment. I don't know where I found it, but somebody who found one of these movies of his like online and was like, oh, I remember that kid. He would host a local screening in this little place when he was like a teenager and excitedly every week talk and share about all these strange movies that he loved. And I'm like, and I think I do kind of feel <laughs> kind of a, a kinship with him. I'm like, that, I, that was me when I was a I'm, teenager. I'm, I did you're that. writing this movie. <laughs> you are, you are writing the movie of the making of Chronicle of Corpses right now. That scene, I want that. I want to see that scene. I want like, I want to see the scene where he meets the giant and finds him and convince him to be in the movie. I want him to see the scene where he goes to like some product, whatever production all these actors are in of, you know, like the do a doll's house or something and go and tries <laughs> and tries to sell them all, like get them all. I guess he can't, maybe he's just, he's just 21. So it's his first time in a bar and he can get them all drunk. And <laughs> well, that's just them. so crazy. Like, that's just crazy to think about. It's like, yes, he had like this kid, and I'm still, I'm staying kid. Like 22 is a kid. It Wait, is. He's, it's, he's well, 22 when it comes out, right? That's, oh you know, yeah, that's true. He's 22 when it comes out. So maybe he's like 21 when he's made or who knows, like, you know, it takes you, a long I time mean, to make yeah, a movie. Takes a, I'm thinking so, he started, he's got to have started making 19, this movie when he was 18 or 19. Can yeah. you imagine like 19 yeah. old dude is going up to the, like, like you said, like they're doing a doll's house and you're like, Hey, I got this script for, like, you know, like this, a horror thing. I want to do these long takes and we don't have a lot of money and we're gonna go to the woods and then being like, Oh, okay <laughs> what what are we doing uh that he to must me is have so just, exciting he must have been such a charismatic like there is a certain charm when you're 18 19 yeah and you're ambitious 
adults are sort of like charmed by like if I again like you said if you're an, an adult person and you're like hey you want to be in my movie I got to you know it's a little bit different than if you're like hey you know I, I I'm this is my my first movie here's my shorts and I really want to do this. It's not even his first movie. It's his second movie. He's 18 or 19 years old. It's his second movie. And it's, like, it really is fifth. It's, it's insane. It is. It's insane. And it's just like, that's Orson Welles, man. Like, that's, yeah. like I know this guy isn't on that level of filmmaking, but there's something very exciting about finding a filmmaker that, as a teenager, started making these things and these ambitious things. And... That's just very, like you said, like the making of would be a great movie. Because what is that like? Like, like, there should be a documentary at least interviewing all these people and like, what is it like? Like, like what DP was like? Okay, I'm gonna try to do this crazy idea for no money, where we're gonna do these long takes, these like crazy you know, camera movements for nothing. It's just it's so nuts, but it paid off at the time because the fact that it got on the best of new york times list right is great is great and that's so the like, end of, and it, that's it, sort of like the end of the movie <laughs> and like the epilogue is like and yet you know and then like your thing there was a screening in 20 in march of 2020 <laughs> attended by three coughing <laughs> corpses <laughs> yeah, who knows? or maybe it was attended by many and they all got sick i don't know but uh it's they, just, I mean, the, wouldn't it be crazy if everyone who attended this the 2020 screening of uh, a chronicle of corpses became a chronicle of corpses. They where all died. So there's 40 people that never get to share no this movie. Wit- every, just like, like this movie's cursed. Yeah, the, the, uh, <laughs> no witnesses. You're not allowed. But I, guy, like I want this on a Blu-ray. I want to yeah. hear a commentary. I want it. I want to know how this movie came together because it's such a mystery to me. And the fact that it was it like was this weird ambitious project. It hit a few critics in the right way. And then it was just gone. And uh, this guy I feel should be talked about in the way that other great filmmakers of the last 25 years are. Like, I feel he should be up there with all the other indie filmmakers like Christopher Nolan, all these people that started in these weird little places. It's just, this guy never got to go to Hollywood and maybe he doesn't want to, you know, maybe he has no interest in making a bigger movie, you know, or just wants to hang out in Philadelphia making what he makes because he doesn't have to have anyone tell him what to do. You know, it's it's just I wish there was more from him just to know what what's going on. <laughs> and I'm certainly excited about this uh, Philadelphia crime thing that he's made, you know, whatever this is going to be. I don't know. Like, it's just so wild. And and. To follow this ambitious, weird project up with a movie with graphic sex in it is also strange and bold, because that's also a movie that nobody really wants. Nobody wants that, you know? And so you're just, you keep pushing yourself to make these things, and you keep pushing sort of what people expect or want. You know, I just I just find it all very exciting. <laughs> Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tig Notaro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. 
That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. Eight notes scale an octave. Master the scale... And you master the score. That's a chronicle of corpses. I, I'm sorry, it's mostly me talking, but I feel like this is, this was an episode I've wanted to do for a while. And I kind of sat on it because I wanted, I definitely knew that it was going to be me really selling, trying to sell this movie to people. A movie that you can't really stream, that you're going to have to just buy the DVD. The DVD's cheap. Like, I mean, it's cheap looking, unfortunately, because the quality is low. But if you want to see this movie, I think I got the DVD for eleven dollars. And you'll and sell it to people for twelve. <laughs> no, I'm keeping it <laughs> until it comes out on a special Blu-ray. Like, I want, yeah, I want a Criterion Blu-ray with all his shorts. The names of his shorts are great. A MAGA Tango, her father's expectancy, the scream. <laughs> <laughs> the Things We Do for Love, A Cinemagic, Haunted Poe, The Telltale Heart, Haunted Poe, Poe's Last Train Ride. Is that the short? Uh, oh, and then Shakespeare, Action, and Harrogate Park, To Be or Not to Be, a short documentary. Yeah, I just, what is going on? I, I went to Philadelphia once and I was I did not like it. But if I knew to go hang out with this guy, I would have liked it more. What didn't you like about Philadelphia? Uh, it is a mean town. Everyone in that town is really mean. It is a mean and town. I got it's boot- like I, I, I gotta it, tell me, tell because my experience was like what everyone always said New York was was actually how Philadelphia was. Whereas like everyone was like, oh, everyone in New York City is so mean. Everyone's just so just like rude. And I, whenever I've gone to New York City, everyone's just been so nice and talkative. But in Philadelphia, it really was like they hated me. They they knew I wasn't from there, and they wanted me to leave. That was sort of my experience with literally every human being in Philadelphia. My my Philly story <laughs> is that I uh, so I in September of two thousand one Labor Day, I began this tour. It was going to be a two month tour. It started in Boston, went up into Canada, then came down. Uh, through Chicago, all the way down through the South and up the East Coast. And I was going to be going through a lot of mid- the Midwest and the South. And this w- and then, and I was touring for a record called A Curmudgeon for All Seasons, which is all these anti-holiday songs taking shots at America and patriotism. And something yeah. happened on September 11th, <laughs> 2001, that uh, inspired a lot of people to start waving a lot of flags and being very pro-America in the regions that I was traveling through and everyone uh, who knew me was like, come home. You should not be doing this tour. (laughs) You should not be doing these songs. And I was like, no, this is the time when I most need to be out there doing these songs. And so I did. And every time, every city, I was afraid that something was going to happen. But in general, like going through Cleveland, going through uh, New Orleans or Memphis, going through, Tallahassee, Statesboro, Georgia, played these songs. People either cheered or just clapped. Nobody, like, I, nobody was like, how dare you 
How dare you? Until I got to Philadelphia. When I played these songs, I had people shouting, go back where you came from. <laughs> Love it or leave it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the town where America was born, right? Like, like, yeah. the, like, did you, you cracked the Liberty Bell. That's what you did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, my, my experience wasn't that, well, it was bad, but it was like, basically like the first night there, I was like, man, I'm hungry. I want to eat some food. And I saw a pizza parlor open. And I came in, I was like, I would like a slice of cheese pizza. We're closed! Don't you see we're closed? I'm like, the door's wide open. The lights are all... How am I supposed to? I was like, we closed 10 minutes ago. Get out of here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and then that just kind of kept happening. Where it's like, the people even just walking down the street, like they didn't want to look at me. It was just Everyone just kind of scowl on their face. Like it was like hard to live there. Was, I don't know. But then I've only met the nicest people from that town afterwards. Like I was lucky enough to have... Uh, a few of my movies play at some film festivals in Philadelphia and they were all very nice. And then like, uh, meeting, uh, meeting David played there, uh, had great audience reaction. And I mean, the reason why I went there in the first place, which was worthwhile was it's the birthplace of Larry fine. And there's a beautiful mural of Larry fine in downtown Philadelphia. And you can go to the bar that was the building that he was born in. And they have a bunch of Larry fine memorabilia. And then just on the outside of Philadelphia is the Stugium. Have you ever been to the Stugium? Uh, no. It is a three-story tall museum devoted to just the three Stooges. It is huge. It took me about seven hours to go through it because I wanted to look at everything. And what's really funny, and I don't know if I told the story on our Three Stooges no. <laughs> episode, so forgive me if I did. What's really funny is so it's, it's so like Philadelphia is known for it's abundance of museums because it's, you know, the early America history. Like you have, um, so you have all, you can see the declaration of independence and all these things in Philadelphia, but then there's also the Mudder museum, which has like weird, uh, scientific anomalies, medical anomalies in there, like babies in jars and weird things like that. But then you have the Stugium. And so it's definitely like a very competitive town for people with archivist degrees in college. You know, you go, to become an archivist and then there's all these jobs in in philadelphia to get if you're into archival history and that's what you do and so the people that ended up at the studium i feel like maybe that wasn't their first choice it was really weird because here i am like geeking out over shemp and i was literally like one of only three people there <laughs> and, uh, and it's huge and all the people that worked there were all these like just women were all these women these young women like in their 20s probably fresh out of archival college just having to deal with me gushing about oh you have shemp's suitcase and oh my god and just like and they couldn't give a shit about it but they found me very amusing they were like this guy seems really excited about all these things that we do not care about that we just work here uh highly recommend anyone visiting the studium i hope it still exists i hope post-covid it didn't shut down like it is incredible if you're a fan of the three stooges it's like it's fucking crazy. <laughs> it's the, one of my favorite places in the country. Top five. <laughs> wow. It's amazing because it's just like you just don't think you want to be surrounded by every Three Stooge thing. Like even Joe Besser stuff for hours. You're just walking through a museum where it's only Three Stooges stuff. It's so cool. <laughs> so that's And Philadelphia's food is very good. I went to a place called Ishka Bibbles. Had a Philly cheesesteak sandwich there. It was great. So 
you know. I think so. I'm sorry that I'm just being like this guy who's like, every this could be a movie, this could be a movie. But I do think it would be a fun short film about a guy who is making a pilgrimage to see the birthplace of Larry Fine and the Stugium, <laughs> and everyone he meets, like basically treats him like Mo. Like everyone in Philadelphia is just mean, like mean that, to him, you know beats what? him up. That is, that is what happened here. Right? That is what it's like. Maybe that's the town's thematic thing is like, let's make sure we all act like Mo. So all these Larry Fine fans that come here, we treat them like Mo treated Larry Fine. Because Larry Fine seemed like the most calm, nicest Definitely. of the Stooges. Yeah. So we're going to make sure to like really be like, you idiot, you wise guy, why I oughta. And you're like, oh, geez. I didn't realize how interactive the whole experience was going to be. <laughs> oh, you want a pizza, huh? <laughs> you got some grease in your face. <laughs> that really, I never thought about that, but you're so right. That is exactly what it is. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So. Well, uh, maybe Andrew. maybe Andrew uh, Rapaski can make that make that short. <laughs> I'm sorry, not Andrew pa- Andrew Rapaski McElhaney McElhaney. Get it right. Get it right, Andras. <laughs> Respect the auteur. Um, okay. Well, I'm. I'm really good. I. I do feel like this. I don't. I. I can't promise that I'm going to give it a third watch. Although <laughs> I feel like I should. I definitely but am I, more interested in checking out some of his other films now, and maybe once I get a greater sense of him as a director, I will revisit this film, and with a you know with a. A deeper appreciation. I, I mean, my goal for this episode is just to get this guy in people's goddamn radar. Like, this is a director that has made consistently cool, interesting, different, ambitious stuff for like 20 to 25 years now. He needs to be talked about. His movies need to be watched. And they need to be released in a better way <laughs> so more people can see it. Uh, maybe even if by him, like, hey, if you're listening to Andrew, put some of these full movies up on your website or something. I want to see Animal Husbandry. How do I see this movie? Uh, so <laughs> we should reach yeah. out to him. I mean, I'll, I'll, I, we... I will. I think when this comes out, I'm going to say he was I friended him on Instagram and then he like kicked me off. I think he was just like, this is just for my family and friends. Who's this guy? Uh, and so I. <laughs> But I joined his newsletter. I found on his website, he's like, if you want to get a newsletter from Andrew, you know, I was like, okay, I don't know how often that is. It might just be a Christmas letter every December. Tell me about his accomplishments. I don't care. But I want to know more. I want to see more. I'd yes. be so curious to know what <laughs> film he thinks the world is wrong about. Uh, I bet he's got many. I bet he, like, in my, like, like I said, I feel like him and I have a similar taste. I can just tell from watching his stuff. That I'm sure, like we, you could. I'm sure he feels that way about Andy Milligan. You know, like that is definitely a filmmaker the world is wrong about. And well, I if you're listening, if you're listening, Andrew, some of that. <laughs> check out our episode about After Last Season. Uh, you'll hear another movie I just strongly defend. Yeah, if you if you are <laughs> if you love water. that movie, then you and Brian are in a very small island together. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a good small island. I'm yeah, enjoying hey, the coconut I, drinks. It's a I good am, place to be. You know, uh, I would love to be on Mordecai <laughs> Island if I could find one other person who <laughs> Mor- wanted to be that there. That actually sounds like a name of an island. Like, where are you going? I'm going on, I'm going on a vacation to Mordecai Island. Going to the Mo- Mordecais just to take two weeks. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Everyone has a mustache there. Everyone has a mustache there. <laughs> <laughs> Even the ladies. Uh, so, uh... <laughs> 
Do we know, do we know what our next episode is, or do we have to record that? Are we doing closer next for you? Oh yeah, let's. Uh, let's just record if we the, can... Let's record that. Should we decide that now? Yeah, uh, I mean, because we you talked oh, about wait. doing. But I also hmm? think the idea of I need to reach out to Rodney Asher because if we can do Psycho and Room Two Three Seven. Okay. Uh, but I mean, that might be depend on him, so that might be what we end up recording in October. So maybe we wait a week. Maybe reach out to him like this week. Yeah. And if we can fit those in, because he doesn't need to be on the Room 237 one. That can just be us. Yeah. But he can be on the Psycho one. But if he's too busy, because we're going to record both of these late September because of your travels, yeah. correct? That uh, maybe we do a backup, like we do those two. But if he can't do it. We do this in October and instead we do closer and then I pick something else from my list or something. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I think maybe, I think I want to do next, if it isn't psycho, I want to do, um, the, um, the let it ride. I think oh, I need to get out of, I need yeah. to get out of obtuse art world and go to something a little more. I love yeah, no, normal. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, let, let me reach out to him about that. Um, Oh, and if we do Room 237, you and I, I will rewatch The Shining and you and I can have our own take on what we think The Shining means, which would be fun. And what I would, what I, how I would schedule that would be, we'll have him to do the psycho, but while we're, yeah. when we do that, we'll have like well, a little 15 minute conversation about Room 237 that we can and cut, then, cut and into then we record. And then we should record our that episode after Psycho. Yeah, I think like after we've talked to him and kind of bent his ear a bit on it, then yeah. that way we have that as reference. And in fact, I think that should maybe even be the order that it airs. If yeah, we Psycho do first, then Room Psycho two, three, first, four. and then Room Two Three Seven. Yeah. yeah, I think that that way people get on who he is, and then we can go into yeah. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. This um, was fun. But like, let's just do the outro then, and we can talk about our podcast and stuff when we know what we're doing next. Does that make sense? And when there's not a leaf blower outside my window. <laughs> um, and I can tell you then, we'll talk about Pat and Mike and that scene, but I, fa- I <laughs> of course... I can get to I can get to Alfalfa faster than I had said before. It was it of course it comes through Dick Miller. So oh. it's me to Dick Miller to Charles Bronson cuz he Dick Miller and Charles Bronson were both in the Dirty Dozen. So it's oh. me to Dick Miller to Bronson to Alfalfa and Spencer Tracy and Chuck Connors and Catherine Hepburn. Who is Dick Miller in the Dirty Dozen? I don't remember that. He's probably just some, you know, some guy you know, walk on <laughs> private or you know annoyed some sergeant going get out of here kids you know but in the credits he's on imdb <laughs> that's cool oh there you go you you did it three moves that's yeah. pretty good hey i mean dick miller can get you to like there's a few people in my filmography that are just like Gimmies. I mean, Dick Miller has been in so many. Yeah, things. yeah, 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 yeah. Like two hundred movies or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel that's got to be the one, the most out of anybody. I mean, Dick Miller gets me to Jack Nicholson, which gets me to everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. But so. yeah, we can do our little outro next week or in a few weeks. I mean, luckily this one doesn't air till what March. Yeah. <laughs> so we have plenty of time. Like we can even in mid September once we know what we're doing. Yeah, I think I think, but I like the idea of like either we do closer, and the Let It Ride or Room Two Three Seven and uh, 
Psycho. I think that's, I mean, those are, Psycho and Room 237 are, is some real world is wrong. Like people, mm-hmm. the, the, the amount of hate for both of those films. Is... I don't get it. I feel, <laughs> I, I was part of it. I we got wrapped up in it because uh, that movie's really good. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. It's yeah. uh, and I'd like to hear his talk, him thinking about how he thinks the world is wrong and what his responses, or maybe he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. I, I mean, he's know. talked a lot. But, I mean, that's why I'm saying we'll get like 10 or 15 minutes on room two, three, seven out of him just because that's what we should well, I think do. You work your way through all his stuff. I think that's how yeah. you do it is you kind of do a little, like, let's just go through the filmography quickly just to kind of have a few questions and then we'll talk about psycho, you know? Yeah. Uh, cause I also want to tell him that I have experienced shadow people, which he made a whole movie about. I have firsthand experience with that. So Yeah. You should yeah, reach uh, out. Maybe that'll turn you on to um, Tom Petty. He has a song called Shadow People. Maybe that'll be your doorway. Into... Uh, perhaps. Perhaps. Okay. One um, of these days, I we are going to do the, the Petty. I'm going to make you watch the Tom Petty documentary that Peter Bogdanovich... Well, and we can, can do. Uh, you can do. Brian is wrong about Tom Petty special. Episode. Well, we, but we should do. We should find one. Like we should do a month where we, you pick a musical, a music documentary, but some you don't I care about. A, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, yeah, what, it's, what, it's what funny. Bands I was, do you not really like? <laughs> I, there's what so many. Did, uh, who's but, your least? Who's your least favorite artist musically? I don't have a least favorite. Really? Yeah. I mean, if they were, oh, if they're truly okay. my least favorite, then I won't listen to them. So you won't even know. You know, I have artists who have. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's artists who have disappointed me. <laughs> or what's someone that's pre-new that you like hear it on the radio and you're like, nope, and you just turn the radio to the next. <laughs> I'm that way with the Steve Miller band. I can't stand that band. Oh, come on. <laughs> I was like, nope, and I'll turn it. I can't handle it. I don't um, know. Like, yeah, I mean, all the, all that Matchbox 20 post Eddie yeah, Vedder yeah, singing yeah. stuff. Okay. That, that yeah. never, like, I'm not really yeah. that interested. Like, if, what will yeah. make me turn it off? Cause like Tom Petty makes me turn it off. I'm like, I can't do That's this. So you know, like, and that so, is so I, sad. That is so I don't, it doesn't connect heart. to me. Um, um, but you know, what? I was that way once with Neil Young and I love Neil Young's music. So you never know. Like, I could be one over and I'm yeah. certainly into Tom, Tom Petty right now a as lot an actor. Better than Neil Young. So <laughs> yeah. I like Tom Petty as an actor. He's really good in King of the Hill. Yeah. The, the postman, you know, so I'm like a third of the way there. <laughs> no, but luckily there's a movie about him so like if i have to watch a movie about him maybe i'll come out being like you know what i think this is good so i'm just I, trying to think of if there's a movie musician music something where i'm like okay this is gonna now make you have to think about you know something i don't know i mean that would uh, be. My, but, my i mean i have all kinds of embar- like uh sort of areas where I used to be embarrassed and now I just get like, oh, I just don't have the receptors for it. Like, yeah, Jimi Hendrix is great. Do I want to watch an hour of Jimi Hendrix? No, no, not really interested. <laughs> you know, yeah. Lou Reed is awesome, but yeah, do I want to, you know, like, do I often want to put a Lou Reed record on? Not really. Neil Young, mm. same thing. 
you know. Really, uh, you don't like Lou Reed, huh? I don't. Like, don't wait, like wait, back to, up. I did no, not. You don't, but you're not. You're not I in the mood often to hear Lou Reed. Did not say like I. There are times like, but I like if a Lou Reed song comes on the radio, I won't turn it off. If a new Neil Young song comes on the radio, I won't turn it off. If I'm someplace where they're playing, just like if I'm in a bar and they're playing a Lou Reed record, I'm not going to leave the bar. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, like. Okay. Like yeah, Patty Smith your... is great. I respect Patty Smith immensely. If a Patty Smith song comes on, I I dig it. Have I ever listened to a whole Patty Smith record? Can't say I have. It's not you know, your thing. It's, these it's are my weaknesses. I don't really feel me, like yeah. yeah it's, yeah. And if there was a documentary, okay, I just downloaded. There's a documentary on Randy Rhodes, the guitarist for Ozzy Osbourne, who died when I was like a teenager, and he was everyone was like super sad. And I'm not like I've never listened to a whole Ozzy Osbourne record, but you know I know Crazy Train. I like you know I, there's some you know I'm, I'm familiar with Black Sabbath. Same thing. Have I ever listened to a whole Black Sabbath record? Probably not. But I was I had lots of <laughs> friends who were into Black Sabbath. I like you know, when I hear a Black Sabbath song comes come on, I like it. I will watch this documentary because I'm interested, and I, I will then have a broader understanding of this music that I may not love, but. I'm very interested in. If you had a documentary about Lou Reed or Neil Young or any artist, I would be interested. I mean, uh, I had a friend who was just talking about the film that your friend made, Why Do We Do This? The, mm -hmm. And I probably don't like any of those bands, but I'd be really curious. <laughs> That's a great movie. Yeah, we could do way, that. It's a great movie. Uh, yeah, have Eric on Eric Funny's Land. That movie's on YouTube. If if yeah. anyone wants, it's just about bands touring. Uh, Steve Albini's got some good tour stories. Ever as do a lot of like kind of local Washington bands and stuff. It's that's a great movie. Uh, yeah. So start thinking. <laughs> start thinking about a music documentary that you. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one that I don't. I mean, it doesn't have to be a band I don't like. It has to be something that you love. Yeah, no, and, I agree. And there's a good chance that, you know, that it'll be something that, I mean, unless it's a, they might be giants, uh, it'll probably be something that I'm not as into as you are. <laughs> you know, I can't think, I'm trying to think of other, like, if you pick the Who's Kids Are All Right, then I'll love that. But I, yeah. I imagine you'll pick something more obscure <laughs> and interesting. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I'll work on, I'll reach out to Rodney today and just say, hey, yeah. next month, would you be interested in recording an episode about Psycho? And uh, basically, I'll just ask him that and we'll sneak in the conversation about Room 237. I think that's a great idea. Um, because it makes sense that it would come up in conversation because Psycho is so much of like kind of picking apart and analyzing a movie, you yeah. know, like that is what Gus Van Sant is doing is one of the things he's doing with that. So... Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Well, folks, I uh, I let that one play out a little longer than I usually would have. I didn't mean to tease you with the episodes that will never come to pass, but as I was editing it and listening back, I was struck, as you may have been, by just how convivial and future-focused our conversation in this, the second-to-last episode we recorded, was. Perhaps you can see how I was and remain blindsided by my co-host's awkward exit from the podcast. If you haven't already listened to the last two episodes in which I discussed this more, you can just go back and check those out. 
anyway, I encourage you to check out Brian's other podcast, The Director's Wall, where he and his co-host, A.J. Gonzalez, explore a director's full filmography. They started with M. Night Shyamalan and are currently finishing up Francis Ford Coppola. My other podcast is The Radio 8 Ball Show, which is a musical divination format where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. You can find that wherever you find your podcasts or at the Radio 8 Ball website. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word with the number 8, Radio 8 ball.com you can find the world is wrong on twitter at world is wrong pod and on instagram at the world is wrong podcast and on youtube at the world is wrong podcast 8321 if you'd like to reach out directly you can email me at contact at the world is wrong podcast next week is the last episode with brian And it's a good one. Brian and I are joined by Rodney Asher, the director of Room 237, The Nightmare, and A Glitch in the Matrix, to discuss Gus Van Zandt's remake of Psycho. And that's it. Until next time, please remember that wherever you are, the world is wrong. And it's probably wrong about you. Would you watch your grandchild? I spotted her in the wood. I imagined that she was returning from some idyllic interlude. I followed her for some distance over the dewy grass. She stopped to defecate. The first light of dawn glowed on the horizon. The morning air was breathing its last gasp of stillness. I was afraid the bird's chatter would startle her and make her more astute to my bootstep. She moved with a lethargy I normally attribute to drunken servants. The fact that she was maternal made her all the more desirable prey. I would have enjoyed the slaughter of her young, but the hunt was losing its amusement, so I raised my gun and shot her once in the skull so as not to damage her supple fur or tender meat. Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred